Hello, friends. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't been with us in the last couple weeks, we just launched a new series of sermons in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to the church in Asia Minor during a season of great pain and suffering. And so he writes this letter with the intent of comforting them and encouraging them in their present situation. And the way that Peter does that is by drawing a contrast between their present reality and their future reality, between the things that they're losing in this life due to their suffering and the glorious inheritance that they have in Jesus Christ. Drawing a contrast between who they are and what God is making of them, who they are becoming. In fact, that was the content of last week's sermon that I encourage you to go back and listen to if you haven't had the chance to listen. Uh, Today we find ourselves in chapter 2. So we're going to read from verses 4 through 12. So would you read along with me? It's what the Word of God says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and rock and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Church, one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to go through the book of 1 Peter during this season is because I've been noticing that during the season, we're all, all of us, are in great need of great encouragement. I found myself encouraging a friend of mine, someone that's really dear to my heart, that since COVID started, he has been going through a very difficult season. On one, he has lost his main source of income, and then he was diagnosed with this rare form of disease that's very debilitating, that has required him to spend all this money on specialists, on medications, on procedures. And as I was thinking about encouraging him, two things came to mind, and I said those things to him. Number one, I said to him, brother, you are not going through this alone. We will do anything within our power to meet every single need of yours right now. But then secondly, I said to him, what I want to say to you today, if you're discouraged, I said to him, there's gold in the dirt. That's right. It's very easy for us to be discouraged when we focus on the state of our world and the state of our lives. This has been a season of great loss, loss of lives, loss of jobs, loss of incomes, loss of friendship, loss of hope. But I want to tell you, that's not all that is happening in your life. There's good that can be found in the middle of the dirt. There's gold there because there's a good God who is bringing good out of bad things, who is bringing beauty out of ugly things. And we need to be able to identify the gold and the dirt in order for us to be encouraged 
and to find hope in this season. So we may have the resilience that we need to go through it. The Apostle Peter writes with this intent. And in this place in the letter, he uh, encourages them to see the good by reminding them of who they are, number one. And then secondly, asking them to believe or in church, uh, and challenging them to believe that God is at work. So today I want to encourage you by remembering who you are, who you have been made in Jesus Christ. And then I'm challenging you to believe, even though it may not seem like it, that God is at work. First, remember who you are. You may have seen uh, movies and watched scenes in movies where generals and coaches are encouraging their athletes, encouraging their army before a great battle, before a great game. Sometimes those two things are the same. Sometimes a, a big game is a big battle. And you would hear in the speeches them saying, hey, I want you to remember who you are. Remember the country that we are a part of, that you are a citizen of. Remember your family. Remember the things that we are fighting for. You know, the coaches would say, remember your team. Remember all the training that we've been putting. They haven't trained like we have trained. They're not prepared as we have. We have a history. We have a tradition, right? And the reason why that's a great way to motivate people before a very difficult task is because if you forget who you are, you will not act as you're supposed to because you will begin to act not out of purpose, but out of circumstance. You know, athletes that begin to act out of circumstance, not out of purpose, in a very important game, when things get hard, they quit. Soldiers desert. And so the Apostle Peter writes, uh, and he talks about this contrast between two types of identity, to remind them of who they are, who they have been made in Jesus Christ. He talks about the fleeting identity, and he contrasts that with their permanent identity. The fleeting identity. In verse 11, he calls them exiles and sojourners. He reminds them that even though they are in the world, as Jesus says in John 17, they're not of the world, that this world is temporary, that they're passing through, we are passing through in this world. And he's saying, don't get attached to the things of this world. Don't get attached to the possessions that you may have accrued in life. Don't get attached to the titles that have been given to you because everything in this life is fleeting. Now, the problem is that most of us, you know, tend to make that which is fleeting permanent in our lives. And that becomes a great source of unnecessary pain and suffering for us. It actually adds to the burden of pain and suffering when we do those things. So imagine this. Imagine if I go on a vacation with my family. I love going on vacations with my family. And imagine that we rent a hotel room. And I get into the hotel room and I say, Beth, I don't like how this hotel room is decorated. <laughs> I, I don't like uh, these paintings. I don't like the bed sheets. Not, not how they feel, but how they look and I don't like the carpet, and, 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 I, and I don't like the, the vases that they've laid around and the plants. And let's say I go out into the market and I begin to buy new paintings and new decorations, and I buy new pieces of furniture, and I put in that hotel room so that it makes me feel like I'm at home. If I were to do that, my wife would look at me and she says, you are crazy, boy. 
Why are you going to put money on something that we are not going to live permanently, that we're only going to be in for a week or a month or even a couple months? Why are you going to do that? And yet, that's how we find ourselves living our lives. We put too much effort in getting things and and even more effort and keeping things, and we get so disappointed when some of the, these things begin uh, to leave us, when we begin to lose these things, because we are treating that which is fleeting as permanent. Now, I know that we have received from God uh, good things in our lives. In fact, in the book of James, uh, James says that every good gift comes from the Father of lights. So how should we treat the things that we have in life the titles that we have uh, been given through sometimes our hard work and the accomplishments that uh, uh, we have received or we have gotten, uh, the, the possessions that we have worked so hard for, our home, uh, even our family, even in our friends. How do we treat those things? We are called to enjoy these things, but let me tell you, leave them in the hotel room because one day you will leave that hotel room. This world is not our permanent home. We are passing through. So remember that. Now, he contrasts that reality with their permanent reality. He says, even though you may have titles, you're a doctor, you're a citizen of this country or of that country, you may be a father or a businessman, the truest thing about you are not those things. The truest thing about you is the fact that you, number one, belong. Look at what he says in in, in verse 9. You are a chosen race and a holy nation. It was a great honor to be a Roman citizen back in those days. And what was happening to some of these early believers is as they were following Christ, They were being persecuted for their faith. They were being boycotted uh, in in the workplace. And at some circumstances, they were losing their status, their citizenship as Romans. And that was obviously a source of great shame and of great pain for them. And the apostle Peter encourages them and says, hey, listen, you are a citizen of heaven. That's what ultimately counts. It reminds me of the words of Jesus to the 72, 72, uh, 72 disciples Sorry, that go out on mission, and they return. And as Jesus asks them for a report, they say, oh, it was great, Jesus. And he just says, why was it great? They says, because even the demons submit to us. And Jesus says to them, do not rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In every Greco-Roman city back in those days, in the middle of the city, there was a book. And in that book, there were the names of all the citizens of that city. If you were a slave, your name was not in that book. If you were a woman even, you were considered a citizen, but only with partial rights, but your name was not on that book. And what Paul says to uh, the early Christians, and what Jesus says to his disciples, and what Peter here is saying to uh, the church in Asia Minor, is that regardless of who you are in this life, your name is written 
in heaven. You belong. What a great source of encouragement. Church, when we forget that we belong, we try really hard to fit in. But the gospel gives us this comfort that we have a citizenship that can never be revoked. We are citizens of heaven. The second thing that the apostle Peter says about this identity that is permanent, it's not fleeting, is that they are a royal priesthood, therefore you matter. Uh, He is using language here of temple worship. As you would know in the Old Testament, in temple worship, there there was a class of people that were fully dedicated uh, to the worship of God, to the preparation of the worship of God, and everything that happened in the temple, and that was the Levites. And the Apostle Peter is saying to them, you are like the Levites. You are that new class. And even though you may have an earthly vocation, you have a higher calling. This higher calling is a calling for worship. Your life has been repurposed for the worship of God and to connect people to God because that was the role of that priestly class was to serve as a mediator between the people and God and between God and the people. See, God has called you to a specific vocation. Some of you are lawyers, some of you are doctors, some of you are teachers, some of you are artists. Some of you are bartenders. Some of you are baristas. And yet God is calling you to exercise your priestly vocation through this earthly vocation so that people will know Jesus. See, the apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the very last verse, I think it's verse 58, he reminds us everything that you do in the Lord is not in vain. And so you may lose things of this life. You may lose titles. Some of you, some friends that I know have had to close their businesses. And you may feel that you are losing purpose. And I want to remind you that you have been called to a much higher vocation. And so not only what you do matters, but who you are matters. And you have been purposed by God to meet specific needs See, it's very easy for us to think that the people that are called to do ministry in the church are only the pastors and the leaders, but you have been also purposed by God to be a minister in this world. There are needs that only you can meet, there are hands that only you can hold, there are tears that only you can dry. Your work offered in the Lord matters. You matter. The third thing that he says about this identity is that they are loved. You are a people for his own possession. See, God has adopted you into this family, this family that will never fall apart. Some of us come from families that have fallen apart. Some of us have been uh, traumatized and are deeply wounded by some of our family experiences. And so it's hard for us to imagine, you know, a perfect family with a perfect father. And some of us have great families. I, I have the privilege of having a great family, but even those who have a great family, you have to understand that that's not a permanent family. One day you would have to say goodbye to one another. Our families are not perfect, but we have been adopted into a family 
that is perfect, not because of those who have been adopted into that family, but because of the Father who has called us in. He is someone who has vowed to never leave you. He has vowed to never forsake you. In a season such as this, he has promised to meet every single need of yours. You are loved. See, you are not who people say that you are. You are not who you think you are sometimes. But you are who God says you are. You belong. You matter and you are loved. This is the truest thing about yourself. So remember who you are. But also believe that God is at work. And it was very hard, I would imagine, for those early believers to believe that God was at work when uh, they were being persecuted, when they were losing their possessions, when they were losing their lives in the midst of all that suffering. It's hard for some of you to believe that in this situation and in this context that God is at work in your life right now. I know that it's very hard when we're going through times of pain and suffering to believe that God is at work, but he is. Remember, there was, there's gold in the dirt. Uh, we, hear, uh, we read here in this passage that uh, he is working in us. Go to verse 4. In verse 4, the very first verse that we read, he says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God is at work in our lives. We are an, infin an unfinished work of grace. God is uh, working in us through the good moments, the good times, but especially through the hard times to build character in us, to build resiliency in us, to use our story and use our life's experience for the sake of others that will go through some of the same pains and sufferings that you and I are going through right now. And he gives us this picture of this house that he's building, this temple, in which each of us are like living stones strategically placed in that construction. It's important for us to know that he is building you in the context of a community. We are being built together. We are interconnected. We depend on one another. We rely on each other's gifts, not only to grow, but to also serve as a place where the glory of God can dwell. Because that was the purpose of the temple, wasn't it? So that the Shekinah glory of God would fill it. See, God is using your life in the context of this community. And you must understand your purpose. And that is being clarified to you and to me in the context of our own struggles, in the context of our own pain, in the context of our own suffering. And he's doing that through the suffering of Jesus Christ. Uh, remember, he gives a picture of Jesus here as this stone, this cornerstone that is first rejected by men, but then that is used as the foundation for this building. Back in those days, you know, uh, the cornerstone was the stone that dictated how that building was being built. If that cornerstone was crooked, the whole building would be crooked. Everything relied upon the perfection of the cornerstone. And he's saying that this foundation 
uh, that exists for this building that God is putting together that includes my life and your life is laid upon the rejection and the pain and the suffering of Jesus. Why does he say that? Because it's because Jesus was rejected that you and I can be accepted. It was because Jesus suffered that you and I can be healed. It was because Jesus Christ was torn down that we as individuals and we as a church can be built up. And it's to the degree that I understand the foundation that's been laid in Jesus Christ and the solid foundation that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that I am able to find purpose through the sufferings that I am going through because I know that God is doing something in my life. My story hasn't been told in completion yet. It's still being written. It's a story that will not only bring glory to him, but that God will use to bring healing to others. To the degree that I understand the importance of this foundation that has been laid upon this edification that God is building up, I find strength in the context of my suffering. First, because I understand that if Jesus suffered for me, I can endure suffering for him. And then I know that even though I may be going through suffering right now, as the Bible says, one day it will pass. All things will pass. See, while the will of God is permanent, while the work and the benefits of the sufferings of Jesus, the cross, are permanent, suffering in this life is fleeting. That is the real gold. See, when people looked at the cross, they said, man, all of that is dirt. There's injustice, there's violence, there's ugliness. But out of that, God was bringing healing. Out of that, God was bringing purpose. Out of that, God was bringing beauty. And so today, I want you to rely on the work that's already been laid through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and in the empty grave so that you may truly remember who you are and that you can truly believe today that he is at work. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the foundation that has been laid before us in the finished work of Christ. Father, I pray that today those who are in deep need of encouragement, that they would be encouraged. Father, I pray for those who are going through uh, moments of pain and suffering, that they would be comforted. Uh, Father, visit the homes, visit the lives, visit the marriages. Father, visit the hospital rooms today. Father, bring encouragement and bring healing by reminding us of who we are and that even though it may not seem like it, you are at work. There's gold in the dirt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.